Father in heaven, we thank you that we have only one life to live and we can give it to you. We thank you that life is not some cosmic joke, that it's not some long, tedious process toward oblivion, but that our life can have meaning and purpose and focus and direction, and that the deepest needs of the human heart can be met in Christ as we serve him in mission. Guide us today as we speak in Christ's name, amen. Amen. I was on one of those long flights coming back from Brazil. It was approximately a seven-hour flight. I was anxious to get back home to Washington. And you know, as just before you're getting ready to land, the pilot often says, it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes before landing. If you need to get up and use the bathroom or do anything else, it's time to do that now. And after a long flight and following the Adventist health message of drinking a lot of water, I needed to use the facilities. So I got up and went into the small bathrooms on the planes. I don't know why they don't make those things bigger. But when you are six foot one and it's hard to find room in the bathroom anyway, I shut the door and I knew something was wrong immediately. The light went out in that small cubicle. It was totally dark and uh, the door locked behind me and would not open. Now imagine it, we are descending out of 36,000 feet. And as we're coming down, this door is locked. Now, I wanted to act dignified because when you are the assistant to the president of the general conference, you always have to act dignified. So I just gently pushed on the door, nothing happened. Pushed harder, nothing happened. I became less dignified and began to pound on the door. Nothing happened. Sat, put the top of the commode down, sat on it, put my feet against the door, and began to kick that thing. Nothing happened. And I had all these kind of visions in my mind. I had the vision of landing, hitting the ceiling, breaking my neck, and having the front page of the Review and Herald say, Pastor Mark Finley dies in plane wreck. You know, that wasn't too pleasant of an image. I kept pushing on that door and pushing, and finally it opened a little crack, and a flight attendant came by, and she said, sir, do you need help? I said, lady, do I need help? Can you open the door? And finally she did. You know, sometimes doors that you knock on, sometimes doors that you push on do not open. Have you ever found that in your life? You thought you were supposed to go a certain direction. You thought that uh, God was leading you in a certain way, but yet God changed his plans. The history of ASI begins with plans changed in Acts, the 16th chapter. If you happen to have your Bible, you may have a scroll like I do, or you may have a text on your iPhone, and if you're looking at it, I know you're not texting, but you're looking at the text. Acts, the 16th chapter, Paul had door after door closed in his life. Acts 16, we look there beginning at verse 6. Now when they had gone through Pergia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now here's Paul, he sees the great cities of Asia, and he says, God, I know you're leading me there. And as he's going to Asia, he has God's plans in mind. God shuts the door, the Holy Spirit deeply convicts him, don't 
go to Asia. Paul said, did I misread the signals? Did I misunderstand, God, what you were doing? God, I thought you were opening that door and you slammed it in my face. Paul continues, next verse. After they had come to Mysia, they thought they were going to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. They were on their way to Ephesus, and God said, no, don't go. They were going to go to this Bithynia, don't go. Every door that Paul thought was opened shut. When God closes a door for you as a young professional, he's going to open another door. God never closes a door without opening another door. Paul goes to Troas, and there in Troas, he hears a voice from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. As he leaves, he sails across the bay, lands at Neapolis, walks the seven miles out to Philippi. Philippi was a retirement community on the end of the Ignatian Way for Roman soldiers. It had beautiful sea breezes. It was a wealthy city. They had gotten gold from the Pagonian Hills. And so Paul went there. He surveyed the city and he discovered that there was a small group of Jewish women out by the riverside. He went out and met one of them. And one of them was a woman by the name of Lydia from Thyatira. She was one of the first ASI members in Europe. She, he, Paul met her. She had a fascinating business. You remember what Lydia did? What did she do? She was a seller of purple. Why Philippi? What brought her there if she was the, from Thyatira? Purple is a dye that comes from a mollusk that is a seashell. And archaeologists have found large mounds of this type of seashell along the coastline of Neapolis. So you take these seashells and you boil them. And as you boil them, the little creature inside dies and produces a purple dye. That purple dye was used to make Roman togas. And they were the rage for women in that day. So Philippi was a shopping bazaar at the end of the Ignatian Way. Paul meets Thyatira, but rather Paul meets Lydia of Thyatira. She supports herself by selling purple. She has a large home, and in her home is established the first church in Europe. Here you have a young professional, Lydia, who supports herself and does not depend on church funds, and as the result of that, comes to Christ, finances the gospel to be preached in Thyatira, and also in Philippi, and Christian churches are established there. What is, a AS, what is the function of ASI? The function of ASI is not to produce individuals who are dependent on donations for their ministry. But the function of ASI is to motivate and equip and inspire professionals who are so committed to the work of Christ that they can generate their own income while they do ministry for Christ. 
Now, the second great example in the New Testament of supporting ministries is found in Acts the, 16th cha- Acts the 18th chapter. The Apostle Paul in Acts 18 has preached in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and he comes to Corinth. He spends a year and a half in Corinth, and as he first comes to Corinth in Acts chapter 18, he meets two people. Do you remember who the two people were? Aquila and Priscilla. And you remember what the Bible says about them? They were what? Tent makers. And because that was Paul's trade, here the greatest evangelist in the history of the New Testament does not depend on the church to give him income. He generates his own income. He begins with Aquila and Priscilla making tents. Now you talk about entrepreneurship. Why was he making tents in Corinth? There were three great athletic events in the Greek Empire. The Olympic Games, the Parthenian Parthenian Games, and the Ismanian Games. Corinth was on the Ismanian Isthmus, and every two years, Corinth had the Ismanian Games. There were athletic events, there was wrestling, there was a track and field events, there were weightlifting events. In the Olympics in those days, you even had singing events. Nero came to the Ismanian Games and sang. He had the worst voice, it was horrible. And he would sing for an hour, an hour and a half. And some people pretended to faint so they could be carried out so they wouldn't have to listen to his singing. But Nero won the singing contest every time. Because if you didn't put him as number one, you may end up losing your life. The Ismanian Games are every two years. Paul came and began making tents. Why? Because they did not have hotels like Holiday Inn or Sheraton Inn or Hampton Inn. They would live in tents. So Paul was an entrepreneur. He was a business person. He knew that if he made those tents, they would sell them to the thousands of pilgrims coming, sports fans, to watch the Ismanian Games. While Paul was there supporting himself as an ASI worker, he came in contact with the treasurer of the city whose name was Eurastus. And Eurastus took a liking to Paul. You can read about Eurastus three times in the New Testament. Archaeologically, if you go to the ruins of Corinth, there's an overbeaten path that you can go down. I was there just a few months ago. And you see the name of Erastus carved in the stone. And it says, Erastus, treasurer of the city, I built this pavement with my own money. He became a convert and joined Paul as a young professional. He was a financier. Paul was a tent maker. Lydia was a, a businesswoman selling purple. But these three helped to finance the New Testament Christian church. They were not paid clergy. They were not supported by the tithe. They were young professionals, committed to Christ, dedicated to Christ, who had a burden for Christ, who had a burden for mission, whose hearts burned with mission. I thank God for young professionals who come to the church and who say, we are so committed to Christ, 
We're not going to ask you for a salary. You use that on the few ministers you have. We are dedicated. Our life is one of mission. William Carey, shoe cobbler in England, put a map of the world on the wall, and he said, I cobble shoes to pay expenses, but soul winning is my business. <laughs> William Carey was sent as a missionary to India and opened the gospel there. ASI, self-supporting workers, have a history from the New Testament. Where do we find that history in the Seventh-day Adventist church? There were two men, one by the name of Percy McGann, the other E.A. Sutherland. McGann and Sutherland were great educators. Sutherland had been the president of Battle Creek College, worked there. He had been the president of Walla Walla College. As Ellen White had dreams in present to Battle Creek, McGann and Sutherland teamed up. McGann had more of a medical background, Sutherland more of an educational background, but eventually they both became physicians. They teamed up based on the visions of Ellen White to start a small school at first in the South that would produce self-supporting workers that could do mission around the world. The year was 1904. They wanted to follow the tradition of both Lydia, who sold purple, Paul the tent maker, Erastus the treasurer. And they said, we've got to produce some self-supporting workers here because we recognize that the church can't finance everybody. And so Ellen White said that she would join them on a fact-finding mission to look for land. She already had had a vision of a piece of property in Tennessee, which she did not necessarily um, know where it was. Her son, James Edson, had a boat called the Morning Star that he was ministering to underprivileged African Americans in the South. Here, Ellen White endorsed that work and uh, she strongly supported it. She was a leader in racial equality and justice. And so she joined Percy McGann, E.A. Sutherland, her son on this boat, the Morning Star. And uh, there were about three or four others with them. As the boat was coming up the river, the boat often broke down. And, uh, you know, all supporting workers need to know how to work with their hands. And so the boat breaks down. And as it breaks down, it breaks down in a bend, and they pull it over to the side, and they say there's going to be about a day that we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to uh, repair this boat. Now, Sutherland and McGann had left a little earlier and were going to join them. Ellen White says, since we're going to be here anyway, team, let's go look and see if there's any property around here. And they walked, and they saw this old, broken-down farm. Had been a slave plantation, had about 400 acres, 200 in pasture, about a, and about 100 in fruit trees and 100 in vegetables. She walks around the farm, and God impresses her. This is the property you saw. But the land was overworked, weeds overgrowing it. The soil had been neglected, and the soil was absolutely horrible for growing. The house was broken down, and she said, this is to be the property. Now, McGann and Sutherland weren't there. They fixed the boat, pick up McGann and Sutherland, look for a property in other areas, don't find it. They're coming back. 
and she said, I, 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 there's some property over here I want you to see. I believe it's the property the Lord showed me in vision. McGann and Sutherland go up and look at the property. Now, they've been in the Walla Walla Valley. You know anything about Walla Walla? It's the soil is rich and fertile and things grow. You know anything about the Berrien Springs area? Things grow there. And so they go back. They're walking around the property. She said, this is the property the Lord showed me. McGann says, oh, no, Lord, please, please give her another vision. You know, uh, Sutherland says, Lord, please give the woman another vision. This is the property the Lord showed me. When Sutherland began write this story, they say they went out behind some old ramshackled house and sat down and wept. They said, Lord, this cannot be the property. We, we can't, we're not coming here. But then they, as they pray, they say, if you have impressed the prophet of God that we should come, we will come. And they come to that piece of property eventually, start a little school. The school is small at first. It's called the Nashville Agricultural Institute. And the purpose of the school is to produce workers who can farm at that time, agricultural society, early 1900s, workers who can do medical work, young professionals who can go out to the far-rung reaches of the earth and start missions for Christ. Young professionals who would go through that school and would have such a vision of Christ, such a vision of mission, that they would be willing to make sacrifices to go to the ends of the earth to see the gospel preached for Jesus Christ. And so these young professionals come to this little training school called Madison there. As time goes on, the school grows. They establish a sanitarium. They go through incredible sacrifices for Jesus Christ. And the school grows. They begin to establish other units all through the South. And as they are doing that, there are lights that are shining in dark communities. Young professionals are going out to witness for Christ. They're not dependent on the church for their finances, but they have a passion in their heart. They have a desire in their life and they are moving out for Christ. As they are, this school attracts the attention of the leading educators in the world. It is a different school. It's based on cooperation and not competition. It is based on self-service, and it's not based on selfishness. It's based on the principles of the gospel. And these young people are bright, they're intelligent, they're practical, they're people that will make a blessing in any community. And the United States government sends the leader of the Department of Education to look at these students and the young professionals and to see their motivation. Their motivation is mission. And as they go out to the ends of the earth, God moves through them. The year now is 1948. Madison College was established in 1904, 1947, 1948. There are all these little mission units that are established around the world. The General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists says, we should develop a network to, to organize these units. And so ASI, Adventist Self-Supporting Institutions, was established in the late 1940s. Its function was to bring together these various institutions. It was predominantly an institutional movement early on. But as time went on, there were, there were business professionals that joined. 
So ASI became Adventist Services and Industries, and it became now much more. It became much more than simply uh, the educational wing. It became a wing that was bringing in both professionals and institutions. It has grown. What is ASI? It is a dynamic, mission-centered, passionate movement that takes the mandate of Christ seriously to take the gospel to the world. What is ASI? It's Denzel McNeilis, a banker, who commits his time to service for Christ. It's Heidi, a entrepreneur in New York City, developing a health food restaurant to share Christ. What is ASI? It's Remnant Publications, a businessman who decides to try to pour his profits back into printing literature. What is ASI? ASI is, is a guy like Danny Shelton, who, whose heart is moved with passion to do something for Christ, and he starts a 3ABN. See, what, what is ASI? It's people like you and me. Not, not me, because I'm a pastor preacher uh, paid by the church, but you see, what is ASI? It is young adults, it's middle-aged adults, it's older adults, ASI are pastors and lay people joining hands to work together. ASI has a biblical basis. We find it back in the book of Acts with Lydia. We find it with Paul. But ASI is based on a mandate that we find in Matthew, the 28th chapter. In Matthew, chapter 28, we find a mandate given by Christ. Matthew, the 28th chapter. And you're looking there at verse 18, 19, and 20. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Man steps off a mountain and goes down, and God steps off a mountain and goes up. Because the laws of gravity cannot cause the creator of gravity to be bound to the earth. And just before Jesus ascends to heaven, in Matthew 28, verse 16, 17, and 18, it says, And the eleven disciples went away unto Galilee, on the mountain which Jesus appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Christ gave these disciples a mission, a mission to go to the ends of the earth. And as he gave them that mission, some doubted. They doubted then and they doubt now. They doubted there and they doubt here. They doubted in the first century and they doubted in the 21st century. But God never accomplishes something great through those who doubt. And the Bible says then Jesus came. When Jesus comes, he chases away our fears. When Jesus comes, he chases away our doubts. And God is raising up a generation of young adults who are passionate about mission, who are willing to support themselves, who are not going to listen to the skeptics or the doubters, but are motivated to go out and preach the gospel. The Bible says, Jesus says, all authority is given unto me, go therefore. All authority, all power. When we go out for Jesus, we go not with the authority of man, we go with the authority of God. Jesus does not call the qualified, he qualifies those he's called. And Christ has given you gifts for service. Christ has placed within you gifts and creativity to make a difference. You have only one life to live, and you don't want to waste it. You want to make a difference for Christ. 
come back with me to the year 1888. We're not going to Minneapolis to the great revival meeting. We're going to San Francisco. There's a seaman. His name is Abraham LaRue. For 50 years, he has been a seaman. Little interest in spirituality. He's invested his savings in property in San Francisco. But the great San Francisco fire takes place and he loses everything he has. He moves up to Northern California. And while he's there, he comes across Adventist literature, reads it, it changes his life. He goes up and now he's in his 60s. He goes back to take a Bible course so he can be a literature evangelist and a Bible worker. And he goes to Healdsburg College or Pacific Union College and takes the Bible training course. He says, I'm gonna be a self-supporting layperson and go out. He begins to dream about places in the world that the church has never reached and China is one. He writes to the mission board at the General Conference and he says, send me as a missionary to China. They write back a very polite letter. I know about those polite letters that the General Conference writes. I serve as an assistant to the president. He, they write him a polite letter. My dear brother, thank you for your desire to go to China. But, you know, you gotta always watch the butts, you know, not only to goats, but you gotta watch those butts. But my dear brother, we have no money. We have no money and we can't send you to China. And my dear brother, you're a little old. You know, you're not great old. We're not saying you're in the 60s. You're, you're a little old. But why don't you go to one of the Pacific Islands? So Abraham LaRue, with his own money and a few books, gets on a steamer. A steamer, that, that's a boat. He gets on this boat. He goes past Hawaii, and he says, wait a minute, Hong Kong is an island, and that's close to China. I think I'll keep going. He settles in, in Hawaii for a little while, sells some books, makes some more money, goes to Hong Kong. And Abraham LaRue, a seaman, an ASI member, goes to China, supports himself, labors for 15 years in China, no converts, from 1888 to 1903. But he labors faithfully. ASI members are perseverant. ASI members have a passion for ministry. ASI members are totally consumed with the mission of Christ, and they do not give up easily. 1903, he sees his first seven baptisms in China. Seven seamen, they're actually English seamen, then the Chinese converts come later. And he dies in 1903. But some of our literature, um, Steps to Christ, has been translated into China. Now we're beginning, in those years, at 04, 05, other ministries, other missionaries join him. The General Conference sends Elder Anderson out there. Today in China, as the result of the seeds of the gospel sown by Abraham LaRue, we have 450,000 Seventh Adventist believers that work is growing there in China. God is going to give somebody in this room a vision of ministry. There will be those that doubt. There will be those skeptics that say it'll never happen. But God has given you talents. God has given you abilities. God has given you gifts to use for service. You have only one life to live. Give it to service. Give it to mission. Go out from this place with a passion in your heart to support yourself as an ASI member and do mission for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org.
Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.